are continuing our series that we've been calling The Messiah as part of our whole shebang journey. If you're new with us, uh, all of 2010, we're looking at the grand epic story of God and inviting God to transform us by this story. And so right now we're looking at the person of Jesus, at the Messiah, the one who was uh, talked about in the Old Testament in terms of prophecies, and, and he is the fulfillment of those prophecies. And Yesterday we looked at, his, at the fact that he was a bold teacher, that he laid out for us the red letters in, in Scripture. For those of you who have red letter writing in Scripture, we have an amazing gift, an amazing gift that God has given us, the words and the teachings of Jesus. But it is so important to keep in mind that he wasn't just an amazing professor who sat back behind a big podium and spoke to the masses and then left and climbed up in the ivory tower to read and prepare for the next setting. Jesus was a man who deeply, deeply connected with people. He chose 12 young men to invest in, to connect deeply with. And He wants to, here 2,000 years later, wants to connect deeply with each one of you. And so today we're talking about the Messiah who connects deeply. Would you bow your heads with me again as we pray and launch into this? Father, we are thankful this morning that you love us, you know us, you know us, and you so passionately want to connect deeply with us. Just as last week, uh, I prayed, God, that it wouldn't be my words, but that you would come and teach. Father, I pray that uh, this morning that that your presence would come and connect with us, that it would be so much more than words coming through us, speaker God, but that your very presence that the relationship that you want to have with each one of us would be stirred up, would be inspired this morning. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, uh, I want to invite you to turn with me to John chapter 15, if you brought your Bibles. Again, I invite you to bring your Bibles throughout this journey. We'll look at it every time. John is the fourth book in the New Testament. We're looking at chapter 15. I'm going to start reading in verse 9 in just a moment. This here is not a time where Jesus sat before a thousand people and spoke loudly on the mountainside. This is a time where Jesus was gathered in the upper room, in a small room with His 12 closest friends, His disciples. And this was on the Thursday night as part of the Holy Week where the next day He would be crucified on a cross, something that He understood, but His disciples did not. And He gathered with them in an intimate setting. And he said these words, chapter 15, verse 9. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in His love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. In other words, you are my friends if you, back up to verse 12, if you love each other as I have loved you. Back down to verse 15. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends. For everything that I learned from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. This is my command. Love each other. 
This is my command. Love each other, you twelve. And as you go on with your families and whatever happens beyond that, love each other. Love one another. Love is a pretty slippery word. It's so easy to say for most of us. And it's so hard to do. What does it mean to love somebody else? I mean, what does it mean to, to, to love each other? The Bible talks very consistently about the mission of the church that we are to love God and love others. That's our mission here at Mountain Park, loving God, loving others. It flows out of the Old Testament, uh, part of the, uh, the Old Testament Pentateuch journey, and it is the response that Jesus gave. Someone said, what's the greatest commandment? He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Love God, love others. Now, even if we get the love each other part, because we're actually physical, tangible people, and we figure out how to love one another, what about the love God thing? How do we do that? I mean, I can believe in God. I can pray to God. How can I love God? How does that work? How do we connect deeply with one another? How can we connect deeply with God? And those are the things that we're called to do. Well, you'll be glad you came this morning because I have the answer. And it's a very simple answer. How do we connect deeply with God and with others? One word, chiclets. Nothing says loving like chiclets. Now this jar represents a day, one day in your life. And each one of these chiclets represents a minute. Now, uh, sir, can I ask you a question? I know you're thinking, oh, I shouldn't have sat in the front row. But uh, just a quick question. How many minutes are in a day? And you might be thinking to me, uh, give me a minute. If you do, then I, I do this. Uh, say, okay, can you, how many minutes are in a day? 1,440. See, I cheated. I knew what the question was going to be. Okay, 1,440. Sorry to put you on the spot, but at least you got a chickle out of the deal. Uh, 1,440 minutes in a day. I don't care who you are, what you do. That's all the minutes you get. No more, no less. Old, young, wise, foolish, experienced, inexperienced, whether you work at AMC or the DMV, even though things seem to be a little bit slower at the DMV, it's all the same number of minutes in a day. 1,440 minutes in a day. The only way to make a change to that is if you travel west, you can increase the number of minutes in your day, but that all will catch up to you at one point. 1,440 minutes in a day. And so what happens is we get to distribute these minutes however we choose. And we, of course, are going to start with sleep. Okay, we have a 24-hour day. We have 1,440 minutes. And we're going to say, you know, I need about 420 minutes of sleep. Uh, if you're in college, you maybe have a few more. If you're a teenager, just a few more there, somewhere around there. Here, there's another minute for you. Congratulations. Uh, so, now this is, we have, we have to, God has designed our bodies to need a break, to need a daily Sabbath where we have to shut down and get replenished. Those number of minutes, they have to be used up. Now, another uh, typical grand use of our minutes is many of us in terms of our going to school or having a job. For those uh, of you who uh, go to work tomorrow morning, it is a privilege to have a job. And, the, and there's a number of minutes to go into that. And maybe that's uh, 500 minutes of our 1,440. And then there's the commute. Oh my goodness, the commute. That just takes a whole chunk of the deals there. We've got our sleep and we've got our work. And then we've got, you know, it's going to be more than that. 
We've got uh, some chicklets left over. And we've got the necessities that we have to take care of in life. We've got to eat. Got to eat. Got to eat. Got to bring the dishes to the table. Uh, you've got to brush your teeth. And you've got to, um, well, there's a restroom. Uh, let's see, there's a yellow one there. Uh, no brown ones. But, but you, you, oh, see, I lost some of you. Uh, so, oh, my goodness. Uh, you have to pluck your eyebrows, whatever there is that you need to do the necessities of life. Then you've got choices, lots of choices in terms of how we enjoy life, how we interact with life. We've got our leisure time, and some are going to exercise a whole lot. Some are going to watch TV, play some games, watch a movie, go for a walk, etc. Who knows what the leisure time may be? That might be a little bit much. I don't know. But, but we're going to have a little bit more necessity time, a little bit more leisure time. And then we end up with some chiclets left over in our day that we get to distribute in terms of connecting with others. In terms of connecting deeply with others. That's what we're going to talk about the rest of our time here today. And the one word that has to do with how do we love God, how we love others, how do we connect deeply with others, it's time. Relationships are all about time. Relationships require time. That's why when we moved from a city, I had deep relationships in Cincinnati, and there's nothing wrong with those relationships, but they are not at the forefront of my thought, the first people that I talk to when things are happening because I no longer spend time with them. It just changes as we move. If we don't spend time with people, that has a significant effect on how we connect with them or whether we connect with them deeply. That's why time is a powerful force in terms of getting over broken relationships. And you may remember back in middle school or high school or college when that boy or girl broke up with you and you had a broken heart and you couldn't imagine going on with life. But here you are. Because time and, and not being connected to that person has allowed you to see, okay, things have balanced out a little bit here. Relationships are all about time. So connecting deeply is all about time. I'm not talking this morning about time management. There are plenty of resources and devices and all that in terms of managing our time. I'm not talking about time management. I'm talking about revisiting our priorities in terms of how we distribute our time to reflect our values in life and our value of loving God and loving others and connecting deeply with other people. There's only 1,440 chiclets in a day. And there's no more, no less, I don't care who you are. How are we distributing them? And what I want to look at over the rest of our time is three significant areas of deep connection. And the first one is is if you're married, it's the spouse piece. It's the marriage piece. If you're not married, uh, maybe it's a future spouse. It's the uh, person that you're considering that journey with. Uh, maybe it is a best friend. It is the significant, the, uh, the, the main relationship in your life. Again, for, for many of us, it is the spouse relationship. It's your husband. It's your wife. And when you're dating, it's, a, it's a very easy to pour a whole bunch of time into that one. And you just kind of pour it, and it's, oh, and then, well, I don't need all this sleep. I, I don't need to sleep. I can put all this time here. I, my wife and I would stay up until 3 or 4 o'clock in the morning and just talk and just, oh, tell me another story. And we did all this stuff. We don't do that much anymore. 
We don't stay up until 3 or 4 o'clock in the morning. For those of you who have been married for a while, how much time are you spending with your spouse? A relationship is about ongoing investment of time. And so it's not a matter of getting the thing launched and having a great start to it and then just letting it coast till one of you passes. There is a daily investment in that relationship. If you are... If your marriage relationship is strained in whatever way, to whatever capacity, how much time are you regularly investing in that relationship? I mean, maybe for you, your journey is that that right now your job is huge and you've got to spend a lot of extra time and you're investing in a lot of relationships at work and, and it's important because that allows you to make more money and take care of the family and so then a lot of time gets, gets poured into relationships at work and, and, uh, and that, that makes sense. Or maybe it's, it's more like the, the leisure thing where you just really like hanging out with your buddies, hanging out with the girlfriends, uh, uh, with the girls or whatever. But if chiclets are being invested in other areas, they have to come from somewhere. They have to come from somewhere. Let me give you an example that's kind of a first-hand conviction for me. And this is going to be more directed to the guys here, more directed to the gentlemen. And this will be uh, a moment where, uh, guys, you, you may not be happy with what I have to say. And this might be one of those things where you're thinking, oh, I should have gone to the restroom two chiclets ago because uh, <laughs> here we are in- entering into this deal. But gentlemen, and maybe this doesn't affect very many of you in here, but it's playoff time. Whether you're a, one of the few Coyotes fans or one of the many Suns fans in the room, it's playoff time. In terms of the leisure activity, well, it's the first round of playoffs, and uh, there are four rounds in the playoffs, and each round could go to seven games in both of those sports, and each game is three hours. Well, that's a whole lot of time (laughs) invested in in that journey. And how does that all work? That time has got to come from somewhere. Now, I am not saying don't watch the game. The Coyotes, the game is actually on right now. If those of you who are, if, if I see you're looking down, I know what you're watching. Okay. I'm not saying don't watch the game because then I would simply be a hypocrite. And my wife would have to find another church to attend because she wouldn't come here and just listen to this kind of hypocritical thing. I'm not saying don't watch the game. I'm just saying, are we mindful of the importance and the limited number of chiclets that we have in a day? Are we thankful that we have the opportunity to watch a game that's important to you and you watch it with your friends or whatever that might look like? Are you thankful for that or do you assume it's your right to watch it? Are you mindful of where those minutes are coming from and maybe how to counterbalance those or show appreciation in in other ways? Because you only have 1,440 chiclets in a day. And they've got to come from somewhere if they're going to be focused in one area. Okay, the next jar here is, is uh, uh, these, these two are really about family. So this jar, this jar is about kids. And I know there are many different life stages. And um, for many of you, this, boom, this is right on. You get this instantly. But maybe, maybe you don't have kids or your kids are grown or whatever. This is the area of who is it in your life that you are pouring into, that you are investing in, that you are trying to reproduce yourself in. And if you have kids, primarily, first and foremost, your responsibility is your kids. And what is happening in that relationship? And in a busy world where 
so many different places are vying for minutes in our days, often a busy person will say, well, with regard to the time I spent with my kids, it's not about quantity, it's about quality. And I just want to lovingly say, that's a pile of crap. I mean, what is a, what, are they the red ones? What, what is a quality minute? I mean, is that something where you spend more money on it? Or is that something that's unique? It has to be unique, something you've never done. What is quality time? Because when we spend time with one another, kids, whatever, there are, there are moments that happen that we cannot plan. And they just happen because we spend time with people. And we cannot orchestrate those moments. But a month ago, I went to a hockey game with my oldest son, my nine-year-old son. So, see, we went to a hockey game. I got to go to a hockey game, and I'm, it's, the, it's this jar here. It's like win-win. Right, honey? Right. So, I mean, so I got to go to a hockey game, and, and my son, he's, he's, uh, he's nine years old, and, and for whatever reason, when we get in the car, it's not as talkative as I would really like it to be. And he can you know, short answers and uh-huh, fine, and that kind of thing. It's kind of like a precursor to the teenage years, and it scares me, but that's what it is. It's what happens in the car. And so a quiet ride to the, to the game. And then it's one of the most incredible games that I've ever seen. We played Chicago. We were two goals down in the third period, ended up tying it, went into overtime, won it in overtime. My son and I are Woo! Our throats are sore. We're skipping, bouncing, screaming, having a blast. We get into the car, make the three-hour drive back from Glendale, and for that whole drive, we are just talking, talking deeply. We're talking about drugs and alcohol and sex and, and how a nine-year-old is, 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 is dealing with and hearing about some of those things. We talked about making bad decisions and that there's, there's a difference between a person who makes bad decisions and a bad person. That God doesn't make bad people. That if there's somebody that he's struggling with at school, this is, these are people or he can be a person who makes bad decisions. It's not a bad person. We don't write off people because they made a bad decision and we're talking about his greatest things in life and the things he most struggles in life. It was this awesome conversation that I went home and I celebrated with my wife and it was incredible and it happened because there was a moment that presented itself and I couldn't have planned it. But we don't have those moments if we don't spend time with the people that God's inviting us to invest in. Jesus spent a whole lot of time with these 12, with these 12 disciples. That's how he poured his life into them. He spent time with them. He didn't set up and say, okay, Monday to Friday, uh, you 12, I want you to come and meet with me in the synagogue from 10 a.m. to 4 p.m., I want you to bring your notebooks and you are going to learn about the kingdom of God for three years. It's going to, we're going to learn all the information. We're going to do this. That's not how he did it. He did life with them. Let me give you a few examples. Still in the book of John, go back up to John chapter 3. John chapter 3, verse 1. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the miraculous signs you are doing if God were not with him. In reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. So here, 
Nicodemus comes up to Jesus at night, and there's a whole story there as to why he chose to do it at night. This is where we get the phrase, Nick at night. comes from this little story. (laughs) And he did it at night, and we get this story because John was there, and so he then wrote it down. John was one of the disciples. The disciples were hanging out with Jesus at night, and then Nicodemus just happened to come by, and there was this moment where Jesus talked, for the only time in Scripture, talked about being born again, and has this conversation with Nicodemus. And this conversation continues and goes on, and then, and then later on, 16 verses later, Jesus says to Nicodemus, you know, Nicodemus, God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him will not perish, but have everlasting life. Now I am 100% confident that the disciples present were glad that Jesus was spending time with them so that they did not miss that moment of hearing Jesus say John 3.16. That didn't come out of a classroom. That came out of a moment where Jesus was interacting with a man named Nicodemus. Jump to chapter 6. You may be familiar with this. You may have heard this many, many times. Jesus is gathering on a mountainside. And this time, the disciples are there. He's again spending time with the disciples. And other people gather. Hundreds, hundreds. And then eventually there are 5,000 people who've gathered on this mountainside. And Jesus is teaching. Then there becomes a practical need. These people are getting hungry. What are we going to do? How are we going to handle this? How are we gonna, what are we going to do for this? And then verse 9. Sorry, verse 8. Another of his disciples, in other words, these disciples are right there in the middle of this story. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? I'm confident the disciples were glad they were spending time with Jesus at this moment so as to not miss this story and the learnings that they had from that. Okay, jump to uh, chapter 9, still in John. John chapter 9 is possibly, well, it's one of my favorite stories in Scripture. The disciples, once again, are spending time with Jesus. They are hanging out because Jesus is intentionally connecting deeply with them. And as an outflow of this experience, they they encounter a blind man. And Jesus... uh, spits on the ground. He, he gives what is often referred to as the holy loogie. And, uh, and then he creates the mud and he puts mud on the blind man's eyes. And the blind man receives sight. And it is an incredible miracle. And the religious people all around, they're not as interested in celebrating the miracle as they are in trying to explain it. And they cross their arms and they're trying to figure it all out. And how did this all happen? Look at verse 10. The religious people said, How then were your eyes open? They demanded. The blind man replied, The man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Shalom and wash. So I went and washed, and then I could see. Where is this man? They asked him. I don't know, he said. Do you understand I was blind? I was blind, and then I had mud on my eye. I couldn't see. I don't know where he is. It's just a great story. I'm confident the disciples are so thrilled that they were spending time with Jesus so as to not miss this story. And then in John chapter 11, there's a story of Lazarus. And and, uh, 
I imagine many of you are familiar with this story that Jesus eventually raises Lazarus from the dead. And what's happening here in this story is once again, the disciples are hanging out with Jesus and some people come up to Jesus and say, your dear friend Lazarus is dead. And then Jesus goes and and, uh, spends time with them and again, eventually he raises Lazarus from the dead. But before that happens, he has an encounter with Lazarus' sister, Martha. Verse 23. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know He will rise again in the resurrection, the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. I'm confident the disciples were glad that they were spending time with Jesus so as to not miss this moment. Once again, Jesus did not say in a classroom setting, I am the resurrection and the life. Write this down. This flowed out of a story out of just simply spending time with the people he was pouring his life into, with his disciples. And those moments, those incredible, magical moments with our kids, they flow out of spending time with one another. It's not about high-quality versus low-quality time. It's about intentionally investing time into the people we've been called to pour into. And, and I know some of you don't, don't have kids. And, and that's okay. I mean, this, this example here, Jesus didn't have children. He didn't have kids of his own. But what he did is he modeled for us identifying these are the ones that I'm investing in, that I'm pouring my life into. Some of you have extra time on your hands for whatever reason, whatever your story might be. And maybe you're new empty nesters or just this fall, your young children will all be in school and so there'll be some available time during the day or you are between jobs or you're between relationships and there is some, some time available. And so you've got, you've got, like, you've got time to give away. woo Chicklets for everybody. Don't hurt yourself. woo Okay. Yeah, okay. There's available time. What an amazing asset that is. What an amazing tremendous commodity it is if you have available time. And then the question is, what are you doing with it with regard to your values and your priorities? With regard to loving God, loving others, making an impact on this world. I got an email from a volunteer who's in our children's ministry this week. And she just, said, she just sent it to me and a couple other people here in, in, in children's ministry and in our staff and just said, I need your help with something. I can't get it off my heart that I want to invest my time with uh, young girls prior to uh, them entering into middle school. That she just has a heart for these girls who are going through such a significant transition and they're learning about uh, Santa Claus and the Tooth Fairy and the Easter Bunny and they're wondering how that affects what they've been told about who God is. And so there's this, there's this transition happening where they're liking boys and they're more worried about their bodies and they're fighting with other girls and they're uh, just kind of so many things are changing and she just has a heart for all this. What can I do to invest and pour into helping these girls who are making this transition? There's any, let's talk about how we can process what we can do here to help girls in our church and our community. That, that, that comes out of a person who understands Jesus' words. He says, I command you, love each other. 
Use your time in a way that advances the kingdom. Now, this woman that I'm talking about, she has her own family. She has her own kids. She has her own uh, little chicklets. And there's, there, I know there's only so many available minutes in her, in her days. We all only have 1,440 minutes. What are the decisions we're making that reflect our values and our, prior, and our priorities? Now, the, the last bull I want to I talk about is, is God. And if connecting deeply means spending time with someone, where does, where does God fit into that journey? And unfortunately, what I've done here is usually the way we go about our relationship with God. That we fill over, we fill things uh, prior to that, and then whatever we might have left, maybe there's some scraps, and whatever we have left, maybe this is what we give God. See, what's so important, so crucially important to understand in terms of a relationship with God is that He wants to connect deeply with you. His goal is not for you to be a super obedient, disciplined person. The end goal for you is not to identify 30 chiclets that you would spend with Him every morning, 28, 29, 30. And then you set aside your time tithe for God and then go, good, I, I took care of that. That's not the end goal. The end goal is not for you to have a daily quiet time and to not look at porn. Boom, that's it. You got it taken care of. That's not it. God wants to connect with you deeply and intimately. It's like the difference between a, you know, Scripture, God is referred to as Father. So I'll talk about the Father metaphor. It's like a Father who has children who are perfectly obedient in every way and say at the end of dinner, thank you, Father, for the blessing of the green beans that have nourished my body and the bodies of my siblings. It's the difference between that relationship and the Father who plays with, laughs with, runs with, talks with, plays games with his kids. God wants to have a, a connection, a deep connection with you. Let me take you back. If you've been here through the whole shebang, let me take you back to January. That that's what the whole shebang is all about. There are three characters in the story. There's God, the Creator. There's us, the Beloved. And then there's Satan. Those are the three characters established early on in the story. And the whole story is about a restored relationship between characters one and two. That God and us, His bride, would have a restored connection, a deep connection relationship. And the only job of the third character of Satan is to undermine that, is to destroy that. And He is thrilled for us to be super disciplined people who have no personal connection with God. He's thrilled for us to do that. God wants to intimately connect with each and every one of us in a deep way. So it's not about checking off a list. It's about, God, I'm, I prioritize our relationship. And I want to have a connection with you. And I want to be familiar with your voice. I, do, I want more of this. I want more of this. Mm. What we're going to do as we close up here this morning, is we're going to enter into an ancient 
opportunity to have a deep connection with God. 2,000 years ago, connected to this Thursday night story where Jesus was with the disciples prior to the day where he was crucified. He gathered with his disciples and he had a meal with them. And he said that the bread and the cup would represent his body and his blood. And that in doing so, that they would have a deep connection. They would physically and spiritually connect with the person of Jesus Christ. 